0: This is Basketball You
1: on Chicago's home for sports, ESPN One Thousand, and the ESPN Chicago app. Welcome in. This is the Basketball You podcast. Tyler Aoki. I'm going to be with you two times a week here on this feed. You can check it out on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcasts. Really excited to do this. Some of you may remember that last year during the NCAA tournament, Brian Hanley and I, every single Sunday morning, would give you the latest on college basketball during the NCAA tournament on Basketball U, the radio program. But I thought I'd turn it into a podcast as well where we can get you everything college basketball all season long because some people, you just like to check into college basketball in March, But some people, like myself, the diehards, the sickos, whatever you want to call us, the nerds, we're in it from November all the way through April. In fact, we're in it even before then. We're in it in the summer. We're tracking secret scrimmages and all that stuff. So I wanted to bring that to any of the college basketball hoop heads out there that are just yearning for some of this content. So we're going to talk with players. We're going to talk with coaches, including today. We're actually going to talk... With Greg Gard, the head basketball coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. We'll talk to him a little bit later on in this show. But so many things to get to on this year's version of the college basketball season. I figured I'd give you 10 storylines of what I'm looking forward to most Here for the upcoming season. But we're going to get you interviews. We're going to talk with a lot of people within the college basketball sphere. And Brian Hanley is going to join me every single week as well. We're going to give you some of the picks of the weekend games that we're looking forward to. But we're going to be on this feed twice a week probably Monday, Tuesday, as well as either Thursday or Friday. So be able, or be sure that you're subscribed so you'll get this thing in your feed every single week, two times a week, the best college basketball content. So Looking forward to talking with you guys. I'm going to be bringing some of the things that I used to do on my old show as well, whether it is the one and done segment where we just go through a couple quick hitting storylines. I'm also going to continue the, the Baconator Bachelor. For those unaware, my, my old co-host and I would go through the Wendy's Wooden Award Watch and we would narrow down that field. We'd chop it down bachelor style, hand out some of those baconators to who deserve to continue to be within that realm. So we'll do all of that fun stuff over the course of this season. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyler Aki underscore, Tyler A K I underscore. I'm always tweeting college basketball stuff. And also follow me on TikTok as well at Tyler Aki. I'm going to be doing a lot of college basketball stuff on there, just some pick stuff, some college basketball videos, all that good stuff. So, Looking forward to everything in the world of college hoops, but let's get into the 10 biggest storylines that I'm looking at for this upcoming basketball season. Now, let's start with something that actually is already in the past, but I think we can look towards the future of how to fix it, and that is, what was with the lackluster opening night? Huh? What was that? I talked about it with Bleck and Abdallah on their program every single weeknight, 6 to 8 p.m. on ESPN 1000. And I'll be doing my college basketball segment with them throughout the, the season as well, every single week. So be sure to listen to those guys as well for college basketball stuff that I'll also be bringing on this podcast too. But the lackluster opener that we got in college basketball, this was Monday night. And it is, like, for me, it feels like Christmas morning. It feels like the best day of the year. Over 100 games. That's even more than the opening day of the NCAA tournament. It starts at 11 a.m. It finishes up a little after 1 a.m. when you're chasing a Tulsa-Oregon State game that Tulsa chokes away at the end and kills your perfect first day of college basketball. But regardless of that, over 100 games... And we didn't have a single ranked matchup, despite the fact that all 25 of the top 25 teams were in action on opening night. Now, some people may be thinking wait, college basketball already started? We already have some games in the book? Yeah, we do. And it's because there wasn't really a headliner. We're used to seeing the opening night of college basketball being that Tuesday Champions Classic. Ah, yes, you got Duke, you got Carolina. You got Michigan State. You got Kentucky. Um, You got these great games on that Champions Classic week and that Tuesday. That really feels like the kickoff of the season. But we didn't get that this year. And we're we're still going to get the Champions Classic, those great games that we get every single season. But unfortunately, we did not get it this year. And I think the one thing that we can do to fix that is every single year— make it an event just like the NBA does, just like the NFL does, where there's those kind of standalone big matchup games to open up your season. You see it in the NBA all the time with that with the opening night on TNT. You see the, the standalone Sunday night football game. Every single year, I think we got to see the college basketball season open up with the Champions Classic, with Duke, with Kansas, with Michigan State, with Kentucky, that rotation of four teams every single year. That's got to be it, every single year. And if not, let's at least try to find some other way to have some of these bigger matchups in the opening weekend. I'm not sure why teams really shy away from this, because it's not college football. Every game doesn't necessarily matter to me in the college basketball season, which may sound weird, but... When the tournament committee is building its 68-team field, the games in the conference matter a hell of a lot more than the games that are played the first week or two of November. Sure, it's great to have your Feast Week games. You have all these fantastic tournaments in Maui, Atlantis, Vegas, wherever. You get those amazing matchups. Those are great for college basketball, great for that Thanksgiving week, a great week of basketball. The Big Ten ACC Challenge, the SEC Big 12 Challenge, the Gavit Games, there's all these great matchups, but at the end of the day, they don't really mean as much. And I'm not sure why coaches don't go out and, Try to schedule some of these marquee games early on. Get your programs out there on television early on. I get you're battling with football. You've got maxion during the week as well that I'm sure ESPN has some sort of deal with to make sure that they're always front and center. But I would love to see some of these early games scheduled between these teams because – These games are good showcases. That's what they're more so. They're more showcases. Listen, it's not like what LSU's going through right now in college football, where I know they were just checking in as the number seven team in the college football playoff rankings, but they lost that opening week to Florida State, and it felt like that sort of nosedived their season. Whereas in college basketball, losing in that opening week, doesn't do anything really for your tournament resume. In fact, I would say it only helps you by scheduling these sort of games early on. It really does. And now I know that a lot of teams are moving to 20-game conference slates. It's a lot of very tough games year in and year out. But I still think it, there would be something to be said, about having a slate of early season great games. I mean, we've even seen some teams in the past, now now I know some of this has to do with TV networks and stuff, but the ACC, when they launched the ACC network, had ACC games as the opener. Now, is that good? Is that bad? I'm sure some coaches don't love it, but I would like to see some non-conference games be scheduled for that opener Every single season. Some really good top 25 matchups. We didn't get a single ranked matchup with over 100 games. And we only saw two power five teams lose when Florida State lost to Stetson. And USC lost to Florida Gulf Coast. How about that? A Dunk City revival with Andy Enfield losing to his former team that he put on the map when they stole the hearts of America with that Dunk City team a long time ago when they were a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament. All right. Storyline number two that I'm looking forward to, return of the bigs. It is going to be another great season of college basketball because there's so much familiarity. And why is there familiarity? It's because of the bigs that are all coming back to college basketball. You look at some of the names that are going to be headlining teams. Oscar Shibwe, the reigning national player of the year, and in all likelihood going to be a third-time All-American he's back with Kentucky. Drew Timmy, he's back with Gonzaga. He tried to dip his foot in the waters, dove into the pool for the NBA draft combine, and got called for a travel in, in in a draft combine scrimmage, told the refs the NBA wasn't ready for the sauce, and went back to college. And here's Drew Timmy back at Gonzaga delivering the sauce for the Zags. So, Great to have him back in college basketball. I'm sure we'll be seeing plenty of stroking of the mustaches as well. Armando Baycott, back with UNC, the runners-up from a season ago. Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana. Hunter Dickinson, Adama Sanogo, Colin Castleton. Some of these guys, I mean, if they were to come back this season, in any other season, they would be the best players at the position. But because of where we're at right now, With all these bigs coming back, they're like six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I didn't even mention Zach Eady in there as well from Purdue, the 7'4 behemoth that Matt Painter has for that Boilermakers team. So, so many bigs coming back. There's going to be a lot of great familiarity within the sport. And that's great. The continuity is fantastic. It's continuity like we haven't seen since the one-and-done era really started to take off. A couple reasons why I think that's the case name image and likeness has been a big part of keeping college players in college finally the kids are being able to make money as they should have been for a long time and nil certainly going to contribute to that some of these guys are even saying that they make more money in college than they would have made had they gone pro i think that's a good thing And it's certainly pertinent in places like Kentucky, Gonzaga, where these are the show. This is the biggest thing in town. Probably wouldn't work at a DePaul or Northwestern if you want to stay local here. Just because of the – you're not even the second show in town. DePaul basketball, you got to go way down the list before you're looking at them as being one of the biggest shows in Chicago. So that certainly is going to help, especially at a lot of these college towns, whether it's Lawrence, Kansas, Lexington, Kentucky, Syracuse, New York, Spokane, Washington, go up and down Tobacco Road. They're the biggest thing there. So I think it's great. I think it's great. The other reason why I think we're seeing so many of these bigs back is because The NBA has tailored away from what these guys sort of do, back-to-the-basket guys. Some of them can stretch it out and and shoot a little bit. Drew Timmy obviously can. He's a little bit different than the rest of them, but I think that the way that the NBA game has gone, where if you can't shoot from deep, you're probably not going to make it as a big, or at least your your role is going to be severely limited as a big, and your draft stock is going to be severely limited as a big, the nba isn't going is going to quite frankly keep some of these guys in college i mean i think the perfect example is look at it this way walker kessler from auburn from a season ago he was a sophomore and made the leap to the nba ends up going in the 20s in the nba draft he didn't have nearly the season that that entire list of names that i spouted off earlier had but he still goes 20th overall because he can step out and, and shoot the three and attempt the three. So I think that's a big thing that is keeping some of these guys in college basketball. Storyline number three, what a depleted guard class. Let me read out this list of All-Americans from a season ago. All right, These are every single All-American guard that whatever publication created a, an All-American team, these were the guards that were named on him. Oshai Abaji. Johnny Davis, Jaden Ivey, Benedict Matherin, James Akinjo, Colin Gillespie, J.D. Note, Johnny Juzang. That is every single All-American guard from a season ago at whatever publication you want to pick from. They were an All-American on one of those one of, one of the publications. None of them are back in college basketball. I just talked about all the great returning bigs. Not a single all-American guard is back. They either graduated or departed early for the NBA or another pro venture. Crazy. And in a sport that is so predicated on guard play, it is going to be an absolute changing of the guard, no pun intended. And you're going to see some of these teams that have these guards emerge be some of the best in college basketball this year. This year, Here's the All-American list. A lot of these guys you may not have heard of before. Marcus Sasser, Jaime Hawkes, Kendrick Davis, Nick Smith, Mike Miles, Adam Flagler, Caleb Love, Isaiah Wong, R.J. Davis, Keontae George, Jamal Sheed, Max Azemus. Maybe the only ones that you know there are Caleb Love and Max Azemus. Caleb Love was fantastic for UNC in the tournament last year, and Max Azemus from Oral Roberts was the one that had the big run as a 15 seed a couple seasons ago when they took down a couple teams in the NCAA tournament. So I think that it's going to be an interesting year of guards, and the teams that have the guards that do step up are going to be the ones that have success because you think about the teams that made it to the Final Four last year, especially the national championship game, had some really, really great guards Kansas, Remy Martin, Oshia Baji On the other side with UNC, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis. Those were some great guards that spearheaded those teams in the tournament, and when they turned it on, those were the teams that caught fire and ultimately met in the national championship game. All right, let's move on to storyline number four here. You know, a blue blood lost its legendary Hall of Fame head coach and went out, replaced him with an inexperienced assistant who really hasn't coached a lot of games at the D1 level as a head coach. I'm of course talking about the Villanova Wildcats and Jay Wright. Jay Wright unexpectedly stepping down last off season after he had so much success, won a couple national titles, put Villanova back on the map, kind of Shed the label of a choking program. And remember, there were times it looked like Jay Wright, he was on the hot seat. Well, he went from hot seat to Hall of Famer real quick. And Jay Wright, unexpectedly retiring. It was a blow for Villanova. They bring in Kyle Neptune, who was a longtime assistant on Jay Wright's staff. Then took a job at Fordham, was the head coach for Fordham for a season. And now is right back in a head coaching chair with the Villanova Wildcats this season. They're going to go through some lumps, I would guess, this year. But I I want to, you know, I might even do this right now. Schedule a tweet. Because you know what? Jay Wright, he's moving to CBS. And he is going to be fantastic. I think I got, let me pull up my calendar right now to figure out what day I want to schedule this tweet for. Because he's going to be on that CBS set one day, and people are going to be like, wow, Jay Wright is fantastic at television. We need more Jay Wright on CBS. So let's see, Super Bowl is going to be played, I believe, February 12th, so maybe like a February 19th, or let's do a February 18th scheduled tweet. Damn, Jay Wright is good on TV. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens with Jay Wright, because I think he's going to be fantastic on TV. And Villanova is worse off without him, but I still think they can do some damage in a mediocre Big East. How about Gonzaga? Is this Gonzaga's year? You know, people have, I think the the shine is kind of off on Gonzaga. You know, you look at what's gone on with the Zags, and people talk about how, are they a blue blood And you look at Sweet 16 appearances, NCAA tournament wins, Final Fours, they are among the best, if not the best, in the entire country over the last 10 seasons, in all those different categories that I laid out. But they've never won a national championship. They've been there twice in the last, what is it now, five years, but they have never won the big one. And... I think this is a Gonzaga team that right now, and again, they're going to probably be a one seed when it's all said and done, but I'm intrigued to see what Drew Timmy looks like when he's not playing along a lottery, big-ish type player. And there's a lot of turnover, a lot of guys that are going to be stepping into new roles this season for this Gonzaga team. I'm intrigued. I don't think that this is going to be a Gonzaga team that does get to the Final Four, though. And I think people now are going to start to view them as more of the villain because of what we've seen out of Gonzaga the last couple of years. And quite frankly, because Drew Timmy's back too. And he's kind of been that villain personified. Next up, UNC, the preseason number one. They made an unprecedented run to the national title game last year. And we've seen, and they looked like For the first 20 minutes of that game, they were going to cakewalk their way and hoist another trophy. And Hubert Davis in year one, after taking over for the great Roy Williams, was going to cut down the nets and do it Kevin Ollie style in that first season. But they were boat racing that second half, and ultimately Bill Self got himself another title. Now, UNC enters this season as the preseason number one. They have rebounded after their last couple of national championship game heartbreaks. You look at the last two times UNC has been the runner-up in the NCAA tournament. They've gone on to win the next season. 1981 to 1982. You lose in 81 to Bobby Knight in Indiana. Then the next season, in comes a freshman, Mike Jordan. We're very familiar with him in Chicago. He goes out, hits the big shot. They win that national championship against Georgetown. 2016, the Tar Heels lose to Villanova on the greatest shot in college basketball history from Chris Jenkins. Buzzer beater to win the tournament for Villanova. Then you fast forward to 2017. North Carolina comes out and wins the NCAA tournament and takes down Gonzaga. You know, people. a lot of people are saying because of the unprecedentedness of Carolina's tournament run, they're likening them to UCLA and what UCLA did year to year because they bring back pretty much everyone. The only guy that they lost was Brady Manick who was certainly the figurehead of that team and was a huge part of what they did. But they're bringing in Pete Nance who's a transfer from Northwestern and a name that's probably familiar to some people because of his pedigree. He is the son of of Larry Nance Sr. and the brother of Larry Nance Jr., currently in the NBA. So can UNC go out and repeat and live up to their preseason number one ranking, even though last season they played in the 8-9 matchup? It's going to be very, very interesting with UNC. And for people saying... Oh, they're just going to be the next UCLA because that's what UCLA did last year. They were this unprecedented team that went on a long tournament run to the Final Four. People didn't expect it. They bring back pretty much everybody, and it felt like a failure for some for UCLA because of what they were at the beginning of the season and where they were ranked. But I would say UCLA wasn't a failure last season. I mean, they got to the Elite Eight. They were a really, really good basketball team last year. So, I think that UNC is in a really, really good spot to have a lot of success this year. All right, let's move on. Storyline number seven: The return of Indiana after a five-year hiatus. The Hoosiers got back to the NCAA tournament last season. A 12 seed got bounced by the five seed St. Mary's in the first round. But this is year one of Mike. That was, I should say, year one of Mike Woodson. I'm really, really excited to see what Woody does this year. He brings back Trace Jackson Davis. Remember, it was a struggle to bring back Trace Jackson Davis for that first season, last season. But not only did Mike Woodson bring him back for that year, he got him back again for this year. And that is why Indiana is the preseason number one in the Big Ten because they are bringing back one of the most dynamic players in the entire conference. Now, this is going to be a team that's going to struggle to shoot the three ball. Again, Trace Jackson Davis, he has not attempted a single, or rather, I should say, he has not made a single three pointer in his college career. He is more of that traditional big, and he's not a huge guy either, just six foot nine. But he is uber talented, averaged 18 and eight last year and also two blocks as well. I think that he is primed and he is in the driver's seat to be the Big Ten Player of the Year. And I hope that we see Indiana go out and have an awesome season because 49 other states, it's just basketball. In the Hoosier State, it means more. So with Trace Jackson Davis, they're also bringing back Xavier Johnson. Um, They have a freshman, Jalen hood shafino who I'm really, really intrigued by. I wouldn't be surprised to see him be the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Now, this leads me into storyline number eight. That is, what the heck is the Big Ten going to do in the NCAA tournament? You know, they sent nine teams to the NCAA tournament. That's tied for the second most all-time, only behind what the Big East delivered in 2011 when they sent 11 teams. Nine teams... Yet, out of those nine teams, only two got to the Sweet 16, and one got to the Elite Eight. That team that made it to the Elite Eight was Purdue, and they lost to St. Peter's. So, I look at why has the Big Ten struggled in the tournament, and to me, it gets back to something that I alluded to earlier. The guard play. The guards have been lackluster. The bigs have been fantastic, you know? They always say the, the, the phrase in, in football, offense wins games, defense wins championships. I think there should be a similar saying in college basketball. Bigs win games, guards win championships. And this has been a big, laden conference for so many years. You look at these past couple years. I mentioned who's coming back in the Big Ten. Trace Jackson Davis. You also have Hunter Dickinson coming back. You look at some of the other great bigs that there have been. Travion Williams and Zach Eady at Purdue. Kofi Coburn at Illinois. But you need guards. You need guards if you want to advance in the tournament. And I think the Big Ten has been missing that. All right. Let me get you the final four picks here. These are the four teams that I think are going to be in Houston for the Final Four this season. I'll start with a team that I've already mentioned here, and that's North Carolina. UNC, I think, is primed to do it again. They have steady guard play, a coach who's now been there before, and in pretty much an entire roster that has now been there before. I'm really, really excited for this UNC team. I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the ACC and conference and the, the country all season long. I'd imagine they'll be wire-to-wire wire in the top eight of the AP poll week in and week out. So give me North Carolina as one team that I'm sending to Houston. My next team, Kentucky. I have waxed poetic about Oscar Shibwe and the bigs and all, these, all these returning bigs, but one thing about Kentucky that I love is their point guard, Severe Wheeler. And I know this is a guy that has caught a lot of flack across the country. Transfer from Georgia, came last year to Kentucky for his first season. Now he's wrapping things up in his senior season here. Severe Wheeler, I think, is one of the most talented point guards in the country. I think he's a really good facilitator. The one issue with him can be the turnovers. I would hope that by him getting to his senior season, He can take that next step and take care of the basketball better. And if he can, Kentucky is going to be in the final four. My third pick, I'm going to go with Houston because I think they've got the best guard in all of college basketball in Marcus Sasser. He went down with a season-ending injury last year, and I think without him, it really didn't make a difference. That Houston team still got to the final four. And I think the one thing about Kelvin Sampson is that he can coach. I think he is one of the three or four best coaches in all of college basketball. He is that good. He gets every ounce out of his players, and it seems like they love playing for him. And on top of that, they're never a big team, but they're a great offensive rebounding team every single year. And I think Kelvin Sampson is going to bring his team to the Final Four in Houston. My last pick, I'm gonna go with one of the most intriguing teams and a team that maybe you haven't heard about as one that's going to the Final Four, and that is the Creighton Blue Jays. They are a team that really found its stride at the end of the season, had a very young team last year, a lot of freshmen that were playing some major minutes for them. And this year, I think those freshmen are going to be that much better now that they are seniors. And they also bring in the best shooter from the transfer portal in Baylor Shireman. This guy is a magician with the basketball. Not only did he hit about 47% of his threes last year, but he also averaged four and a half assists and about eight rebounds as well. And he can do everything on a basketball court. I'm really, really looking forward to him. Don't be surprised if he's in the Naismith Player of the Year watch. And guess what? I think the head coach, Greg McDermott, he's coached a guy very much like Baylor Shireman before. And it's because he lived in the same house as him. I I think that Baylor Shireman can be a Doug McDermott-type player. Yeah, I really do. I think he's going to be a super fun watch. They also bring back Arthur Kaluma, who I'm really high on as well. Ryan Nemhard is a great steadying guard to have as well. And Ryan Kalkbrenner, the 7-1 center. Fantastic piece. I'm really, really looking forward to Creighton this year. Put them in the Final Four for me. Then my championship game. I've got Houston cutting down the nets over Kentucky. And it's going to be a special moment. Not only will Houston be winning in Houston... But as some people may know as well, this is the last Final Four for Jim Nance. And what school did he go to? He went to Houston. This is going to be the Houston trifecta of Nance giving the tie to whatever player, maybe even Kelvin Sampson. And it is going to be Houston cutting down the net's with Jim Nance on the call for his alma mater. Jim Nance is going to walk up that Warner ladder, cut down a piece of the net, because Samson's going to drag him in for it. So the voice of the Final Four is going to get his wish on his way out in the city where he went to college. Oh, and then I guess there is one more, one more quick one that we'll get to, but you may have heard, I don't know, maybe you haven't heard, maybe you haven't heard that uh, this guy is no longer in college basketball anymore. But, but Coach K., Retired. He retired from college basketball last year. And the Duke Blue Devils are all of a sudden likable. Yes, I said it. The, Blue, the Duke Blue Devils are all of a sudden likable. They're being led by John Shire. First year as a head coach after a long time sitting on the bench for the Duke Blue Devils. Listen, there's a lot of talent there. A lot of youth. I don't think Duke's going to make a deep run given all the youth, not just on the court, but as a coach as well. But I I think John Shire is going to be a great coach in college basketball. It's so weird to see him, a guy from Northbrook, leading arguably the biggest brand in the entire sport. But there he is, John Shire. I'm really, really excited to see what Duke does with their youth. I think they're going to have their hiccups. I don't know how well they'll perform in the Champions Classic. But I do think that this is a Duke team that that when they're at their best, top five team in the sport, top three team in the sport, maybe even the best team in the entire sport. But when they're at their worst, they could be a team that loses to a mid-major and non-conference play at home at Cameron because you're going to see some hiccups, I think, along the way as well for the Duke Blue Devils. All right, but enough of just me here on the show. We want to bring in some other voices here. College basketball is coming to American Family Field in Milwaukee on Friday, November 11th, a couple days from now. Yes, that's where the Milwaukee Brewers play. They will be playing basketball inside of a baseball stadium. It will be featuring both the Wisconsin men's and women's basketball teams, the Brew City Battle. It'll start with the women's team taking on Kansas State. Followed by the men's team taking on Stanford at American Family Field. You can still get tickets. They're starting at just $19. And that gets you in to both games. Women tip off at 3 30. Men tip off at 6 30. You can find those tickets at Brewers.com/slash Badgers. And it is our pleasure now to be joined here on Basketball U by the head coach of the defending Co. Big Ten regular season champion Wisconsin Badgers. Also the defending coach of the year in the Big Ten Conference, as well, Greg Gard, with us on Basketball U. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. And I've never really thought about this, but a defending coach of the year—how how do you? What's your plan of attack to defend that title as coach of the year inside the Big Ten?
0: Well, usually when you get coach of the year, it's because you have the team of the year. So um, that really is in the past, so to speak. So just trying to help this team become as good as they can so it was a great year last year obviously a lot of good players and we had a terrific year and um you know fortunately more importantly we had did have one of the teams of the year uh along with illinois so now we're in the process of trying to build this team and see where we can take it
1: Boy, were you guys fun to watch last year. Johnny Davis, of course, and then the staple of your program, Brad Davison. But let's talk a little bit about this year. And first off, you guys are playing a game at American Family Field in Milwaukee, a baseball stadium for you. But a baseball stadium, nothing really different for you, nothing too new, because you were once upon a time a baseball player at UW-Platteville for a year. So just what does the sport of baseball mean to you?
0: Well, I was a baseball player for a very short period of time. Uh, I it'll uh our game our game Friday night maybe last longer than my baseball career did in college but uh you know it, it just uh I have always loved baseball um I, I like the cerebral part of the game uh how you have to think things through and I've always liked to recruit multi multi-sport athletes whether they play football and I say they're always playing basketball they're playing baseball running track whatever I like guys that uh, have been in different locker rooms and are part of different teams. I just feel it helps you in the long run become a better basketball player, whether it's through leadership or skill development, um, coordination, whatever it may be. So baseball's always been something that you know I played a lot growing up, and you know, like as you mentioned, played in the college. But uh, to be able to play in that venue, Friday night's going to be you know it's 15 years in the making, so it's been a long haul to get to this point. Um, I'm just uh, excited to be able to to uh be there with our team on Friday night and see what that venue is like and um I'm actually on my way over right now tonight actually to check it out and do some media things so i uh, I'm excited I, as I said I know how long it's taken to get to this point, so hopefully we can uh you know have a good event on Friday night, making something that can happen more than once.
1: So Wisconsin and Stanford on Friday night, when you say you're going over there, of course you're doing some media stuff, but I'm sure you're scouting out the arena too because it is going to be a little bit different. It's almost like a, it feels like a Final Four where you're scouting out some sight lines and stuff. What kind of challenges do you anticipate this uh, posing to you as well as Stanford because it's such a different arena?
0: Well, I think the first thing is the uh, you obviously talk about Uh, site venues and uh, just the the sight lines and those type of things. And obviously that that arena or that building has never been set up for basketball. So this is a first time for everybody. So, you know, I'll I'll look at it, but really when you boil it down, it comes down to it's the game within the lines. Uh, The hoops are still going to be 10 feet high. Court's going to be 94 feet long. Uh, That part won't change, and I I just want to make sure we don't, you know, make something important that really isn't that important. And, and that, in terms of the backgrounds and those type of sight lines, it's going to be the same for both teams. So, and we've had other events, you know, or, or games, I guess, in the NBA tournament in bigger venues. And again, trying to, you know, acknowledge it or make a big deal out of it really doesn't help anybody. We'll get a
1: practice there on Thursday and a shoot around again on Friday. So um, we're just excited to get in there and, and go play. So the Bruce City battle between Wisconsin and Stanford. We've also got Gonzaga taking on Michigan State on an aircraft carrier on Friday as well. What's the oddest place that you've ever played or coached a game?
0: Oh man, um, <laughs> there were some. There were some weird. We took the team to France this uh, this summer, and there were some venues we were in over there that were a little. You know, we played with one that had no, had no. Uh, fans and uh, they were behind a glass wall um and it was like playing in a racquetball court so you can imagine the confines on the sideline and those things um you know there hasn't been too many uh, this uh, this one on friday night may be you know along with the final fours and regional finals we've been in, in bigger buildings um this one may be right near the top of the list you know i've never had one on a aircraft carrier or um, anything like that. So this one will, this one will be unique.
1: How was that trip overseas for you guys? I know the NCAA lets you guys do that every so often, but how was your experience and how was building this team uh, over the summer?
0: Yeah, it, it was awesome. Uh, an awesome experience just from the cultural aspect of touring France. We went to Normandy for a day and, and saw Omaha beach and, and took in, and, Took in all that, and that was an amazing experience in a very humbling humbling way since we're coming up on Veterans Day here in a couple of days. But um, the trip was great from a cultural aspect. It was great from an educational aspect for our players. Um, and obviously you do those in part for the basketball experience you get, but also for the chemistry and the, the bonding that takes place. That helps you kind of get maybe fast-tracked a little bit more. For the coming season, like when, especially when you have you know a new group of individuals, some new guys, some fresh faces, so to speak, and um, you know we've got a lot of team building to do, and and this helped put that in place a little bit earlier than normal.
1: So I, I want to f- rewind a little bit to last season. Johnny Davis stole the headlines and was one of the best players in the entire country last year. What was the point for you where you looked at yourself in in, in the mirror and said, you know what? Johnny Davis is so good. I know he's not going to be a Badger next year.
0: Um, well, I knew he was really good in the summer. Uh, I mean, he was—he had been showing flashes of what he ended up doing last year during his freshman year, in in small snippets. But he came back from USA basketball um, last year and played on the on the U nineteen gold medal winning team. And when he came back from that and walked in, like a day after being on a plane ride back from Lithuania. Um, he uh, he dominated practice, and at that point in time, thought, all right, we we have a chance to be pretty good just knowing the pieces that we had and and the impact he could have. But honestly, I think we we were out in Las Vegas at the Maui, what was relocated to Las Vegas, the Maui Invitational, and um, and we played Houston in the second round, which was a terrific Houston team, and we he went off for like thirty, and I think I said it. To our staff after the game was, let's enjoy him while we got him because he's not going to be here long playing like that and he, that was kind of the the coming out party so to speak for him to to jump on the national radar
1: yeah and that that was a houston team that was the full version of houston too not without Correct. uh some of their all-american caliber players as well so that was a, a great game for him obviously and a very defensive-minded team in houston too uh also are you sure that you have checked every nook and cranny of the rule book to make sure that there's not another year of eligibility for Brad Davison.
0: <laughs> hey, if we would if there was a if there was a open door or a crack of in the window, we would have probably found it or he would have found it. But no, I mean he had a great impact on this program. He helped us win two Big Ten championships during his time here and, and play in multiple NCAA tournaments. So uh he is you know, he's enjoying life as a married man as a professional basketball player overseas right now so um you know for him it, you know he was a terrific leader on and off the floor um you know kind of a unicorn so to speak in terms of uh, how hard he played and practiced and and the old school leadership style that he had i mean um yeah, i was just fortunate to coach him and, and fortunate to help him through that part of his career and now he's moved on to being in the adult world so to speak of of having his wife, actually they're both playing overseas. She, uh, she's maybe a better player herself than he was.
1: (laughs) So she was at Indiana. He was at Wisconsin. Obviously I remember all those games and seeing the, the camera shots going back and forth, uh, looking at your team for this season. I don't know if you've seen this, but, uh, on Ken Palm right now, the, the Ken Palm player of the year is actually Tyler wall. Um, I don't know how Ken calculates all this so early on in the season, but what is Tyler Wall going to bring to your program this year? And what kind of step are you expecting out of him?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got great versatility. I mean, and how he's developed in our program from coming in as a freshman and getting some, some spot minutes at the end of a rotation based on what he could do defensively and what he, the energy he brought to the floor to now being you know, a pretty well-rounded player. Um, you know, he just, he's so versatile. He does so many things. Well, he's six, nine, he handles it. Um, he's a, he's a really, really good athlete, better than people really think when you first watch him. Um, and he just understands how to play. Like you said, he's a, he's an old school throwback guy in terms of very versatile, very tough. Um, you know, he, his motor goes all day long. He never gets tired. Um, and he plays exceptionally hard. So, Uh, you know, he can play in the post, he can play on the perimeter. I can have him guard pretty much anybody at any position on the floor. So, uh, like I said, he's definitely, uh, you know, the versatile or usage rate is, is is high and it's probably going to continue to be high as we go through the early parts of these, this season, as we have other guys step up to their, their identity and their roles.
1: One guy that really caught my eye last year was Chucky Hepburn and what he brought to the front court or to the back court, I should say. Last year, what's that next step look like for Chucky this season?
0: Well, I think the the number one transformation was what he did with his body in the off season. He's gotten leaner, he's stronger. Um, and I think going through a freshman year, you you hear about what a freshman year is going to be like, but then when you experience it, it's it's kind of experience always is the best teacher. And for him, I think he learned, um, you know, how how he can help his, himself and help his game by how he, you know, makes his body even better. So that was the first thing he set out to do in the offseason. And then obviously his – we talk about usage rate of Tyler, but the usage rate of Chucky will go up as well um, in terms of, you know, making plays at the end of shot clock, late possessions, those type of things. So, uh, And he's become a better leader. You know, he's stepped into that, that role right now along with Tyler that – you know, he's one of the more experienced guys on our team, even though he's only a sophomore, because he started every game as a freshman, which is, you know, not, it's rare, you know, uh, to especially a point guard to have a point guard come in and, and play with the consistency that he played with and, and help a team win a championship. It's, uh, you don't find many freshman point guards that are that steady where they can help their teams do that. So um, we're just looking to build upon that. And, and obviously, his, like I mentioned, his usage rate and and the ball be in his hands even more than it was a year ago.
1: We saw a lot of really good guards leave the conference over the summer. Whether it's Jaden Ivy, uh, Trent Frazier from Illinois, do you think Chucky can step up and be that best point guard in the Big Ten this season? I think he can be
0: in the conversation, you know. And I think that the best thing that can help that is to have him be on one of the better teams in the conference. You know, I think they always recognize. Um, team success, and and with the with team success comes individual recognition. So, I think for Chucky's standpoint, the best way for him to um, make that case or or make that statement is to have our team and help our team become the best we can be and and see how competitive we can be in this league.
1: So you lost one Davis, but you still keep one of them. Jordan Davis still with your team. What, what's his? role going to be like this season? Because I don't know if he's going to be that, that Johnny Davis level, like his brother was, but what's Jordan Davis's role look like here this season?
0: He's definitely, he's a different, different player, different person. You know, I've never had a twin, but um, as a brother, but they, uh, they're completely different in terms of their makeup of their game, their makeup of their personality. Um, everything about them is, is really not the same, so to speak, other than their last name and, and a little bit of their looks. So, um, you know, Jordan's still trying to find his his role within this team. I think defensively he can really help us, and that's been a point of emphasis. And, and then finding his role amongst the other guys in terms of his offensive abilities to when to use those and, and how to play off of, of the other pieces around him, so to speak. But I think the biggest thing for him is just the defensive and the component and the rebounding. He has a really good nose for the ball. I guess if there is one thing he does that's similar to Johnny, it's that. He Johnny was a terrific rebounder. Jordan has that same, those same instincts in terms of knowing where the ball is and, and uh, pursuing the ball off the glass. So that's, uh, you know, I think two areas that he can he can help us, and, and we're going to need help in both, both those areas from him.
1: So you guys may be playing in one of the most anticipated games of the year on Valentine's Day when you uh, meet up with Michigan again. You and Juwan Howard, obviously there was the incident last year, but you guys, you took your picture at media day. It was all, it was all smiles, but w- what did you kind of learn from that game experience? And if you could go back, was th- is there anything you would have done differently?
0: Yeah, well, the schedule makers have a real sense of humor to put that game on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Just like the day. tournament committee, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, no, you know what? We're all competitors, um, and I understand Coach Howard's standpoint. I think he understands my viewpoint on it. Hey, we're we're all good. It's a competitive environment. It's a competitive profession. Um, you know, nobody likes to be on the wrong end of a final score, and and hey, we've all been there at some point in time. But I, I think just understanding, you know, um, cooler heads prevail, things happen. Let's move past it. Um, but Juwan and I are, are great. I mean, he's, uh, he's been very instrumental in the support of one of my former assistants, Howard Moore, who was, um, mm-hmm. used to coach at UIC, a Chicago native. That was in a terrific, um, horrible car accident three years ago. And still is in need of, of support. And Juwan has been very, you know, um, prominent and present in that in terms of concerned about Howard. So, uh, and that was really my first introduction to Jawan Howard was, you know, a couple of days after the accident, I'd made a second trip to Ann Arbor to see Howard in the hospital at the University of Michigan. And it was ironically the day of, of Jawan's press conference as he got introduced as the next head coach at Michigan. And, and Jawan was in the hospital room with Howard when I walked in that day. So that's the image and memory and first, um Diego said first impression that I have of Juwan was him there bedside with with Coach Moore after going through that, that terrible car accident on Memorial Day weekend of 2019.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great story and glad glad you shared that with everyone. Um so looking at the Big Ten this year, obviously a lot of change and, and certainly in the years to come, a lot of change coming on the horizon too with UCLA and USC uh, being added to the conference as well. What do you make of the changing landscape of college sports right now and what some people are expecting to be a, a Big Ten super conference?
0: Yeah, I think you know you embrace and acknowledge the changes, whether you agree with them or not. And it can be everything from transfer portal to NIL to um, conference expansion. It's just TV market. This is where we are and where we're going in college athletics and uh, understanding it, acknowledging it, and embracing it, it when appropriate is something you have to adapt to. So, you know, I've, I understand the, the pros and cons of all those things I just mentioned, um, but I think you have to stay vigilant in terms of how times are changing and making sure you're you know, doing still within the framework of the foundations of what your program or university or athletic department is about um, but you have to be, you can't turn a blind eye to, to what's going on at college athletics. You're going to be left behind. So I think we've taken a very solid, sound approach here at Wisconsin uh, in all those aspects, uh, specifically NIL and, and transfer portal and how we you know, view that. And, and that can become a part of our landscape as it has already. So um, I think the biggest thing is don't ignore it because it's not going to change, it's not going to go backwards. It, well, there's going to be some modifications and some adjustments, and conference expansion will continue to happen all across the country um, in the years to come. So uh, I think as long as you pretend it's, or don't pretend that it's not there because it is, and you have to be uh, observant and uh, be engaged with it and uh, accept it, you're going to be just fine. So those that don't do that probably will be, get caught a step or two behind.
1: Not to mention, it's a little bit nicer in February going out to LA as opposed to West Lafayette or Columbus, so you'll get that as well.
0: I mean, it's it's the world we're in right now, you know. Obviously, with TV yeah. market and everything else that uh, has transcended, and how college college athletics have changed more in the last twenty-four months than they did in the last twenty-four years combined. So, um, it's uh, just the age we're in right now. And like I said, I think it's, there's a lot of good and positive from it. Um, from all aspects, and and you have to be aware of those, and and try to play to your strengths, so to speak. Um, but I think ignoring it, you're you're kind of foolish if you ignore it, pretend it's, think it's going to go back to how it was. It's it's not going to. So we have to make the best of where we're at.
1: Now, Coach, I'm a Syracuse guy, and I know that Jim Beheim is probably the coach that's going to speak his mind like no other coach in all of America. And he had some pretty harsh comments about the Big Ten saying how they sucked in the tournament and, and what we play for as college basketball coaches is the tournament. Um, why do you think that the Big Ten has struggled in the NCAA tournament in recent years?
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. I, struggle. We've had a lot of teams in the Final Four. We haven't we haven't won a national championship since Michigan State did it in, in 2000. So, I think in terms of struggling in the tournament is uh, I don't know if that's a great statement. We didn't we didn't do so well this past year, but I think the parity in college basketball has taken center stage too. That's that's part of it. Um, sometimes how the game is called is a little different from the regular season to the uh, to the tournament, and I think that's something we're adjusting to here in, in our league within ourselves. But, um, you know, we haven't, we haven't won a national championship in our league for 22 years. So we've had chances. We were right at the doorstep of it in 2015 and let one get up. And there's been other schools that have been there several times as well. So we just got to, you know, change that narrative. The only way you change that narrative is, is to go win one. And, uh, you know, I, I think the fact that, um, college coaches only play for March I don't agree with that That if I guess Jim said that, if you said it he must have said it right, you wouldn't misquote him but I, that is not the approach we take, we take the approach of playing through the non-conference and trying to win the battle for Atlantis that we're going to be going to here in another two weeks and you know, doing well and trying to win our conference championship in the regular season And it's a process, it's a phase and there's different segments of your season, March becomes part of it but if you don't take care of December January and February there isn't a March so I think if you try to forward think that much you're going to miss a lot of really good basketball number one from a fan's perspective there's a lot of really good basketball played in November that a lot of fans don't pay attention to because we're still in you know NFL college football mode Um, we're going to have one here on Friday night with us in Stanford you know we have Gonzaga Michigan State you know out on the, the ship in San Diego so Um, but I think if, if you get it reversed and are only focused on March, you're going to be disappointed with what happens in January, February, in the early part of March, and most likely won't be ready to, to do something special in March. So, but, uh, you know, us as a league, hopefully we can kick one over the top here and, and change the narrative that, that, that is a true narrative. I won't disagree with it, but, uh, I think there's some, you know, we just got to go win that last one. And that's what everybody wants to do.
1: Coach before I let you go, we've got our teammate up in Madison, Ben Brust, who I know you're very familiar with. Do you have a favorite Ben Brust memory? Hey, ben Brust um was we have a
0: foundation called Guarding Against Cancer. Guys, okay, where we raise it's it's G A R D I N G just to mm-hmm. so you spell it right. But so Ben is um we have different teams every year. One year we had a western theme okay so everybody dressed up and, and ben needed to borrow a cowboy hat i lent him a really 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 expensive cowboy hat like a really expensive one and ben lost it and he's yet to be able to find it um and i've never forgot that about ben russ you know he he <laughs> He can't find he can't find that very expensive hat just like he could never find his defensive game when he played for us that was always (laughs) missing too so um, yeah I still I I'm sure whenever you bring that up I coach his old coach hasn't forgot that.
1: I'll let them know, and I'll, I'll maybe even send them an, an invoice as well. So you get me the dollar and cents figure, and I'll make sure we get that ironed out with Ben. Oh no,
0: I, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm forever gonna hold that over Ben's head.
1: Well, he, he's he is calling those Milwaukee Bucks games. Those checks are a little bit nicer now for Ben, so we'll make sure he gets a cowboy hat headed your way, Coach. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. Best of luck on Friday, and we're looking forward to watching you not just Friday, but for the rest of the season. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. All right, big thanks to Greg Gard. That was fantastic. Great to have him on the show. This has been Basketball U, the first edition of the podcast version of this show. We'll be back next week, breaking down all of what we saw from over the weekend, including that Wisconsin versus Stanford game. If you want to go, Go to Brewers.com slash Badgers to purchase your tickets. Again, starting at just $19, you get two great games out of it, Brewers.com slash Badgers. Next week, we will break down that game. We will also dive into a fantastic Gonzaga versus Michigan State matchup that's taking place on an aircraft carrier. I mentioned that a little bit with Greg, and we will talk all about it next week and get you ready for the week ahead, including the Champions Classic. It's back. We'll talk about all that next week right here on Basketball You Don't forget to subscribe to the show. We'll be in your feed first thing when everything gets released out there. So until then, we'll talk to you guys next week.